Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. Psalm 16 has become one of the uh, psalms that I go to most often here lately. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you do I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. All goodness in my life comes from you. The saints that are in the land, they are my delight. But the sorrows shall be multiplied to those who go after false gods. Their drink offerings of blood I will not partake in, nor mention the names of their demons upon my lips. The Lord is my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my place in life. You have a truly good inheritance that you have given me. I will bless the Lord who has given me guidance so that my heart instructs me even in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So my heart is glad and my soul rejoices and my body shall rest secure. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Uh, I'm very grateful for the response that I've gotten from so many of you over the last few weeks regarding the uh, nightlight messages of December, November, December, and January, the messages that related to 9-11, uh, messages that were uh, taken from uh, the revelation given to Rabbi Jonathan Kahn that is now recorded in his book called The Harbinger. Uh, in those three months of messages, my purpose was not to frighten anybody, although it was to awaken us if we're at all asleep. And the responses that I've gotten from so many of you show that you are awake but I also recognize in some communications a, a good bit of anxiety. Now, uh, being awake and being on your toes is one thing. But dealing with that kind of anxiety that feels like a worm eating the, the center of your solar plexus is never from the Lord. And uh, the enemy loves to dance images in front of our imagination of all kind of terrible things, especially if you're, if you're parents of young children. There's this easily accessible fear that the enemy can beat on there and uh, uh, torment you and throw you off balance. Uh, I mean, the devil's not, he's not showing you your future. He's just trying to throw you off balance and get your eyes on on all these what-ifs and off the Lord. Uh, I certainly don't want to get into any theological conflict with anybody over the scenario of the end times. I've got friends, I've said this several times before, but I've got friends from various schools of thought regarding how it's all going to unfold. And uh, I love them and respect them, and I learn from all of them, and I listen to all of them. Uh, and uh, but, but I just don't buy into the popular American idea that the church is just going to fly out of here any minute. Uh, 
it m- makes no sense to me at all that the the church is going to be taken out at the time when their call and election and anointing is the most greatly needed. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and uh, we haven't finished salting or bringing light to the world. Uh, so until we have been salt and been light, uh, I'm I don't much look for us to be flying out of here anytime soon. Now I know that upsets people who who you know say, well, the Lord could come any minute, and uh, we we. You know, it purifies our hearts to believe that the Lord could come any minute. And and then uh, I understand the verses that they go to to take on that idea. But uh, in Hebrews, where he speaks of those whose hearts are made pure, and John also mentions it in his letter in 1 John, that, that our hearts are purified by longing for his appearing I don't think that means that our hearts are purified because we're scared the teacher is going to come any minute, so we therefore stay in our desk and behave ourselves, uh, when otherwise we would be jumping up, hooping and hollering with the rest of the class. But because of fear of the teacher, we stay, uh, you know, in our place and behave ourselves. Uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a low level of obedience. The fear of retribution for disobedience is—it's better than nothing. God knows our society has lost even that, and that's why we're turning to hell in a handbasket. But what I—what the Lord is longing for in us, and what I long for to, in response to Him, is not that I'm obedient because I don't want to be caught in and get in trouble with my disobedience. Because what that implies is that the only thing that's restraining my disobedience is fear of punishment. And John says fear of punishment shows an imperfection of love. So my longing for the Lord's appearing and the purification that that produces in me shouldn't be because I'm I'm, I'm behaving myself because I don't want to miss the rapture. But it should be that I'm I'm so in union with him and so in loving relationship with him that I desire to obey him with all my heart. And so, uh, you know, I could spend the whole time together here talking about uh, various portions of just Psalm 16, not to mention many, many other psalms that you need to be bathing your imagination in. Psalm 90, Psalm 91, Psalm 25, Psalm 27, Psalm 34. Uh, the, the whole Psalms, obviously. But you need to be bathing yourself in the Psalms. Here's why. Though there are doctrinal statements in the Psalms, the Psalms were not written as doctrinal resources. They are relational celebrations. The Psalms has you can't read the Psalms and embrace them uh, and just just sit around thinking about uh, all the different uh, theological questions that arise in your mind. When you read the Psalms, you're you're reading love letters, close, intimate, personal relationship expressions, and it's in these times of possible impending disaster that uh, these psalms have their greatest uh, power for good in us. 
And the reason I spend time in Psalm 16 so much, preserve me, O God, for you, in you do I put my trust. Trust is something even more intimate than the foundation, which is faith. Uh, faith in God, yes, of course. But faith grows into something that becomes even more intimate, and that's trust. O oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Every good thing in my life is because of you. And boy, is that the tr uh, that goes without saying. But to the saints that are in the land, they are my delight. And that's one thing I think about when I'm speaking to you in this this monthly message. Uh, you out there who are walking through the same battles I am, going through similar circumstances, though the details may be different, uh, the pressures, the, the attacks, the, the battles in the mind are all so similar. And it, I think of so many of you. And uh, when I think of you, there's this sense of connectedness and belonging to each other uh, in the face of whatever's coming that brings great comfort and delight to me. Uh, the sorrows of those who go after false gods uh, are multiplied. And you see that happening all in your culture, whether you're uh, in the United States or in the United Kingdom or wherever you happen to be listening to this message, um, Australia or the, far, the Middle East. The Lord is uh, our inheritance and he maintains our place in life. See, he maintains our place. Your, your place, wherever you are right now, is where God has planted you. I know that may be disappointing for some of you to hear, but uh, I've had to learn this myself on a number of occasions when I've been in places where I felt disconnected, uh, unuseful, sat on the bench, not in the ball game, feeling like I'm missing the, the most important events. Uh, I want to be in the middle of everything. I've had to humble myself under the wisdom and authority of my king and fulfill my assignment where I've been put. You don't think the devil doesn't have a lot of sermons that he preaches to Christians uh, you know, well, you, you, no matter what you're doing, there, he's got some legalistic list of things you ought to also be doing. Um, you know, I care about the murder of unborn children. I care about the suffering women in some cases whose uh, life is in such turmoil that they they can't think straight and they are thinking about killing their child. I think about the need to to comfort and secure the mother as much as to secure the baby, especially in cases where there's real deprivation and poverty. Uh, I think about lots of other issues that are on my mind, but you know what? I can't do them all. I can't do them all. It's all I can do to do what I'm doing. And if I get under some spirit of drivenness and legalism and condemnation that sometimes, unfortunately, can come at me through Christians who don't understand why I'm not as involved in what they're involved in as they are, uh, I could be guilty of falling into that same kind of uh, 
legalistic accusing spirit? How come you're not doing what I'm doing? How come you don't care about what I care about? And before you know it, you're so overwhelmed by it all that you are in danger of collapsing and burning out. The Lord maintains my place. He puts me where I need to be. And there uh, uh, he, he manifests his kingdom through me in whatever way and degree that he's fashioned and formed me to be able to communicate. Then he goes on to say, I will bless the Lord who's given me guidance and my heart receives instruction even in the night hours. Uh, right now we're entering into some night hours in some areas of life. And if you've been practicing his presence and listening to his voice, then you will find that you have instruction coming to you even in the times when there's no clarity and vision and things are dark, even in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. I mean, what what kind of arrogant statement is that? I have set the Lord always before me. Shouldn't it be uh, I keep myself before the Lord? No, David. David's not all wrapped up in uh, some kind of false, uh, false um, sense of uh, fear of insulting the Lord. He's talking like a child talks about his uh, father. I, I, I keep you always on my heart and in my mind. That's what he's saying. Because you are at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Uh, this is important for us now because there's a lot of shaking that's about to come to the nation and to the earth. Now, folks, I'm not I'm not talking about anything in reference to the Mayan calendar and all of that business. I, I can't believe how much attention is being given by Christians to, to all that stuff. Uh, whatever comes in the calendar year of 2012, uh, I fully expect to be alive and well and functioning in my calling and gifts uh, at the end of 2012 and on into 2013 and whatever else is beyond that. If the Lord comes in the midst of that, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. But I intend to occupy until he comes. And that, as I've said previously, uh, doesn't mean to occupy a chair and take up space like a stump. It means to do business for the kingdom, to, to function in whatever business you're in. And doing business for the kingdom, by the way, doesn't mean preaching and all of that. Uh, I hope you know by now doing business for the kingdom uh, includes every one of you who are in whatever walk of life you're in. One of the worst things that ever happened to the church is the dichotomy between clergy and laity. And the idea that there is sacred calling and then there's uh, the rest of you. And so everything that you put your hand to, whether you are a nurse or a, a, a truck driver or a football coach or whatever you do, a janitor, uh, engineer, you're called by the Holy Spirit to stand in that place and that's your part, part to play in whatever he's doing in the earth. Now, 
there's about 14 different sermons in all of that that I've just been saying, but I want to I want to focus on one thing uh, in our time together today. I don't want to get off into any heavy teaching. I just want to try to I want to talk to you out of my heart. Uh, I think about what you're going through wherever you are right now. Some of you are battling family struggles and betrayals and marital strife. Some of you are facing economic downturns, and some of you have been without work. I, let me tell you, when we when we get notes from you and there's offerings stuck in that note, and I know that some of you haven't been working for quite a while, uh, those offerings sometimes bring tears to our eyes, mine and Mary's, because we know the sacrifice behind some of those gifts. And uh, that's why I, I don't sit here and feel isolated and disconnected like we're not in the ball game. You guys are all out there. You may feel isolated and disconnected and feel like you're not in the ball game, but we're all joined together in spirit in whatever we're putting our hand to to bring the kingdom of God to whoever we can, to whatever degree we can, in the time that we've been given uh, to, to to do it. And I'm so grateful to all of you for the, the sacrifices that you make so that Mary and I can do what we do. I never, I hope you don't think I say that too much. I feel like I never say it enough. But what I was, when I was praying for us, for you all and for myself, as in preparation for facing this coming year, with all of its ominous portents and potentials for danger. Um, it seemed to come to me that the one thing the Holy Spirit had on his heart, and maybe this is just for clay, and I'm making the mistake of preaching to you something that only should uh, be dealing in my own heart about me, but I was going back through my prayer journal from a couple of years ago, several years ago, and the pattern that kept coming back over and over was the exhortation to to not be pulled by the demands of daily life into such a place that I do not make myself purposefully available to, to God and purposefully put myself in his presence every day. Now, I quoted a while ago from David in Psalm 16, I've set the Lord always before me, therefore I'll not be moved. You can take set the Lord before you and take him with you into the battle. That's what David's talking about. I've set the Lord before me. But I also, at the same time, need to be prepared to set myself before him. Setting him before me implies I'm, I've got a job to do. I've got pressures on, on me to, to, that I have to face. I've set the Lord always before me. At his, I, I'm at his right hand. He's at my right hand. I know he's with me, but I, I'm not. This is not a matter of quiet contemplation and fellowship and worship with the Lord. This is a matter of going into the battle, and I know he's with me in it, and I set him before me as I go into the battle. That's great. But we've all gotten really pretty good at that. That's the that's the you know the prayer we pray as we run out the door and we're barely uh, on time, and the traffic is crazy, and we've got deadlines to meet and people to uh, phone calls to respond to, and it's not even eight o'clock yet. 
and uh, you're you you set the Lord before you, and you know He's He's there with you and all of that. But you know the spirit of the age wants to drive you into that becoming your only prayer life. If that is your only prayer life, because sometimes we are in situations where that's all we can do. If that's your only prayer life, God bless you. Carry on. But you have to stop sometime and 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 say, wait a minute, I've got to be still. Uh, someone very close to me and Mary I was in a conversation with her here a few days ago, and she made the statement uh, about her husband, who is a very highly uh, efficient and sought-after professional man who has a lot of responsibilities and has a real heart for people. But he works sometimes 18 hours a day. And she said of him, she said, you know, uh, Jim has no time to think he, he starts in the morning early, and he goes all the way through into the early evening. And by the time he gets home, he's too tired to think. And how many of us can relate to that? You don't have to be a high-profile professional. You might have that same struggle uh, in whatever job you're in that may not be so high-profile, but it's got its own level of demands. And by the time you get in, you just you're exhausted. But you know what? you can get into the habit of thinking of yourself as not having time to think. And before you know it, that has become a mindset, and it's locked you into a pattern of just letting your body dictate to you. I'm too tired. Uh, sorry, sorry, mind. Sorry, soul. Sorry, spirit. Uh, but you, you all have to line up and do what I say. And what I want to do is just kick back and veg. That's why David sometimes said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Uh, he would stir himself up uh, in times of fatigue or whatever the negatives were. He would stir himself up toward the Lord. There, there has to be a time of purposefully setting yourself before the Lord and listening for his voice. Uh, this is so basic. This is Christianity 101. And yet, it's because we lose our foundation. We don't do the basic. You know, basic means foundation. And Psalm 11 says, if the, right, uh, if the, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? So doing the basics... Uh, sometimes is is where our greatest deliverance and help and restoration comes from. And so it's not bad for me to have to remind you to do the basics. You know, Paul says, uh, for me, it is uh, kind of redundant to have to say these things to you. He wrote to the Philippians. He says, for me, it's repetitive, but for you, it is safe. What he meant by that was it's it's a safe thing for me to have to restate to you these foundational things that slip away from us so easily. Several of my coaches used to say, uh, you know, I don't care how, how much you hot dog it in a football game. If you stop doing the basics, if you forget the fundamentals, we'll lose the game no matter how much uh, bright shining moments you have for yourself privately. Uh, 
get back to the basics. So uh, I just want to read some things to you out of my own journal. Uh, this is a little personal, and I, I'm, I hesitate to do it, and I may come to some spots where I have to pause and edit myself because I, I'm not going to divulge things that belong only to me and the Lord, but I wrote these things out. What I did was I took the scriptures and I personalized them. I, I, I addressed them to me because they are addressed to me. This is not head games. This is uh, this is the way the Holy Spirit taught me how to listen to him and how to obey him. And uh, it, it goes something like this. Clay, everything you don't understand, secret and hidden, I will eventually make clear to you, but you must trust and obey me first before you understand. Then you will understand. I know you're willing to hear, but then you must also seek to understand. You must be sure to keep paying attention to what you hear. The more you do this, the more you will understand. When you really listen, and that means obediently listen, then I will give you more. But when you hear but don't obey, you will lose what you have. That's Mark chapter 3. Then James says, Clay, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. I've got that underlined in red. Your anger can never make things right in God's sight. Get rid of all filth and evil in your life. Humbly accept the message I put in your heart, for it is strong enough to save your soul. Remember, it is a message to obey and not just a message to hear. If you hear without obeying, you deceive yourself. Like one who looks into a mirror and sees himself, but does nothing to improve his appearance, you see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you keep steadily looking into my perfect law of liberty and freedom, if you do what it says and don't forget it, then I will establish you. Son, this is why you're so restless. This is now Hebrews chapter 3. Today, now, moment by moment, you must listen. That is, really listen obediently to me. Don't harden your heart toward me as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested my patience in the wilderness, they were your spiritual ancestors, yet they tried my patience even after seeing 40 years of miracles. At, at the time I wrote this, I was uh, in my late 40s. And the Lord said to me, you've, you've seen 40 years of miracles now. And I have. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So I vowed they would not enter into my rest. Be careful then, Clay. Make sure that your own heart is not evil and unbelieving. Now, what does is, what is Jesus call evil and unbelieving? It's not, we think evil hearts are hearts full of 
lust or murder, but an evil heart for a believer, for a child of God, for a uh, one born of the Spirit. An evil heart is an unbelieving heart which turns away from the Lord and begins to give its attentions to anything other than the Lord himself. The Lord went on to say to me, Clay, you must pay strong attention every day so that you will not be deceived by the tricks of sin and slowly become hardened layer by layer like dripping wax or drying soil. And you find that you have turned against me. For Clay, if you are faithful to the end, trusting me just as firmly as when you first believed, in other words, keeping your first love, Revelation chapter 3, or chapter 2, then you will share in all the things that belong to you. But don't forget the warning. Today you must listen to me. Don't harden your heart little by little against me like Israel did when they rebelled. Clay, who were the people that rebelled against me even though they heard my voice? Weren't they the very ones Moses led out of Egypt? And to whom was I speaking when I vowed they would not enter my rest? To those who refused to listen, who refused to obey me. So can't you see, son, the direct connection between listening and rest? When you don't listen to me, you become restless. The root sin of restlessness is unbelief. A refusing to listen and take heed and obey me when you do hear what I say. The promise of my rest is still my desire for you, but you should be very concerned that you should fail to enter into it. The good news was given to you just as it was given to them, but it is of no good because they didn't heed it. Listening without obeying produces the very opposite of my intention, which is to bless. Now, when I say the word obey, some of us, even after all the years we've walked with the Lord, have a, a tenseness that comes inside of our spirit. Obey. Obey. I heard a, a great interview a few days ago uh, that a professor at Columbia University was having with uh, Dr. Tim Keller. And a typical question of, of, of the intellectual mindset because intellectualism hates being put under subjection to an authority. That's why Paul goes into such details in 1 Corinthians about how not many wise, not many who have the wisdom of this world ever come to know. It's not that God is hiding it from them. It is that they cannot know as long as they're in a posture that demands the, the right to know on its own authority. Uh, uh, see, obedience and faith and childlike humility and sonship are all bound up in the, the willingness to obey what God says, even if we don't understand. 
And Tim Keller just responded to this guy who says, you know, I'm put off by this thing of God demanding that we obey him uh, before we have enough evidence. And Tim said, well, you know, it's, it's, do you have children? He said, uh, are you ever, are you ever in a position of having to say to your child, you need to do this? And, uh, and the child, the child says, well, why do I have to obey you? Because he said, because I'm 45 and you're 10. And the idea is God is, existed before we were born. What an understatement is that? And God knows more than you do. What an understatement is that? And God has his best interest, your best interest at heart. And he knows what it's going to take for you to, to achieve the life and goodness that he intends. And part of what it requires of you to get there is that you humble yourself, lay down your preconceived ideas of how life works, and trust yourself into the one who made you and the one who knows far more than you. And that's why without faith it's impossible to please God because he that comes to God must believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And so Jesus says in John chapter 7, if you, if you do the truth, then you'll come to understand the doctrine. If you do, then you'll understand. We want to understand, and then if, if we decide then, then we'll do. And, and uh, that's not obedience, that's agreement. That's simply saying, yeah, okay, I, I see now. You're, you're giving me enough information to satisfy my own arrogant point of view. And so I'm now equal to you. I, I've, I'm equal to you in this decision. There's no obedience in that. There's no humility in that. There's no trust in that. And so uh, these exhortations that I've just been reading to you that I have in my journal about obey, obey, obey. Every time I wrote that, I would, I would see this, this thing in me that is in all of us that just chafes under the idea of humble obedience when I don't understand. And uh, there's where the restlessness comes in. And, and see, what's really a danger, and all of you who are in so-called full-time Christian ministry, you know, we're all in full-time Christian ministry, but for those of you who may be pastors or teachers or counselors or whatever, we're the ones who have the greatest danger of falling into uh, activism. And uh, this is why pastors burn out. This is why counselors and Christian ministries burn out. Uh, missionaries burn out because uh, in the midst, see, we're, we have the greatest opportunity to deceive ourselves far more than other people do. Because we can get so into our own self-aggrandizing idea that what we do is of such great value. If we don't do it, nobody else will ever do it. It'll never get done if we don't do it. Then uh, we, we don't listen to God. We don't obey Him. We don't wait for Him. We don't wait before Him. We don't get instructions from Him. We just jump in and do stuff then uh, w the restlessness forms inside and the restlessness uh, is very uncomfortable. And so what do we do to avoid the restlessness? Instead of coming into rest, we just go out and get busier and get busier and get busier. 
And if you're in Christian work, you can even deceive yourself more because you think your busyness is sanctified. Your busyness is uh, special. God, God blesses your busyness. Whereas we're real quick to tell the guy who is in what we call, quote, secular work, that he needs to be careful not to get make an idol of his job. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to read to you some more from my journal, because I, I, I'm hoping, if nothing else, this is giving you a model. Maybe some of you who have never kept a journal, because you didn't know where to start. And you say, I got just so bored writing in my journal, you know. Uh, I got up this morning. Uh, I went to work. Uh, I, I came home. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's places in my journal where it says, uh, "This." I got one sheet here. It says, this is what I've learned so far. And the sheet is completely blank. <laughs> I understand uh, trying to keep a journal. You don't want to keep a diary, for heaven's sakes. A diary is just a record of your thoughts and feelings. It's like a than just a record of whatever's going on inside of you, like some people seem to do on Facebook. You know, just put whatever is going through their head, they put it on a screen for the whole world to read. A diary may not be up there for the whole world to read, but it's boring after a while, you know. Well, listen, if you take the scriptures and personalize them to yourself, uh, some of you, for instance, who are struggling with lust, you take Psalm, uh, excuse me, Proverbs chapters 1 through 8, and you personalize those, put your name on them, and write them out. Write them out. And everywhere it, it, it calls for the personal pronoun, you just put your name. And uh, you rewrite it in whatever form speaks to your struggle. I'm telling you, it will transform your life. Because you are engaging your body in the writing, you're engaging your your soul in the uh, emotional comprehension of it, you're engaging your mind in the composition of it, and you're engaging your spirit before the Lord in making an effort to put his word first. Now, uh, this may be boring to some of you because you this is how you live. If, forgive me if this is boring, some of you, but we, we've got so many new nightlighters, and, and some of them are young believers who haven't learned these things. So if you don't mind uh, enduring these things and, and uh, you know, let, let me communicate this the best I can. And I don't think it hurts any of us to rehear it, even if we've been doing it for a while. But anyway... Uh, you, you'll never run out of ways to, to uh, journal. You'll never run out of things that need to, to journal. And then, then you have to take time to go back and reread it. You know, sometimes I'll go to write things in my journal and the Holy Spirit will say, I don't want you to write things. I want you to go back and read what you wrote last time because you've, you've forgotten it. And sure enough, I'll go back and think, man, how could I have been this stupid? How could I have written this down even and still lost it? Well, one of the reasons is after I wrote it, I just shut the book and forgot it. And so I've had people say to me, you know, i got stacks and stacks of notebooks up in the top of my closet. You know, and they're saying it to me like, 
What good did it all do? Well, it doesn't do any good if you don't digest it and go back and re-digest it. And every now and then, and I, look, I know some of you who had bad times in school. You don't want to see a wire-bound notebook. It makes you get the heebie-jeebies just to even look at anything that reminds you of 10th grade composition class. But if you can just ask the Holy Spirit to help you disconnect and disconnect it from school and ask, you know, re-symbolize it somehow. This is your time to really be intimate with God and to speak to him out of your heart and let him speak back to you. And then you write down what you hear him say. And, uh, of course, it's a, it's, it can be a muddled mess at first. But I promise you, if you will start treating this with the importance that it deserves, the, the, the response of growth and maturity and change in you will be so powerful and so clear to even to yourself and to others who know you that you'll never uh, back away from it once you start. Um, so the Lord said to me as I wrote this, this new place of rest that I want to bring you into is not a geographical location. It's not Texas or North Carolina or London. It's a Sabbath rest in me, a union with me, still awaiting for you to enter, son. For when you fully enter my rest, you will find rest from your labors. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am able to understand you. And, and I will be gentle to you, and you will find rest in your soul, for my yoke fits you perfectly. That's what it means, my yoke is easy. My yoke fits, and so your burden will be light. It won't chafe you. It won't crush you. God's, see, God's dealing with you is never to hurt you. It's never to injure you. He'll hurt you only to the degree it is to help you. Son, do you do your utter, uh, do your utmost to enter into this place of listening, obeying, trusting me every day? Because if you don't, you will fall like Israel did. Uh, this is still coming from Hebrews chapters four and five, and I'm just I'm personalizing them to me at a time in life when I couldn't hear. It was right after nine eleven. It was a time of great stress, a time of many demands, uh, and uh, I was I was empty. I was completely empty, and my prayer time was. Uh, just as empty as uh, my journaling pages were. And I just took the scriptures and opened them up and began to personalize them to me. And so after the Lord spoke to me all about this, about, you know, why I was so restless and why, you know, he said restlessness is unbelief. That, that just slapped me awake. I was restless. I was angry. I was irritable. Uh, and it was all coming out of unbelief. And the unbelief was coming out of failure to listen. 
And failure to listen was coming out of activism, busyness. Oh, I was a busy pastor. I was a busy conference leader. I was. Uh, I had. I had uh, busy, important work to do. What good is my public ministry if my private life is this mess I'm describing? I'm saying all that to say we're now entering into another time of of, of great potential stress. If, if there's not actual events occurring, there's anticipation of potential trouble. And uh, that can drive you into the, this very kind of activism, whether you're a preacher or a, or a cook or a school teacher or a football coach or a policeman, whatever your calling is in. The enemy's got different ways to manipulate all of us into not listening not obeying because we're not listening, not listening because we're not quiet, not quiet because we are in unbelief. And the unbelief is coming out of a refusal to put ourselves purposely before the Lord. So uh, I've set the Lord always before me. And then I set myself also always before the Lord. You can find 10 minutes a day to do this, y'all. You know, you, you can find... You do what you want to do in many aspects of life. I do too. Uh, my excuses get flimsier every day about what I don't do and what I do do. And um, Anyway, I went back to the scriptures and, and the Lord wrote this out from Hebrews 4. Clay, remember, my word is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting deep into your innermost thoughts and desires. My word exposes you for what you really are. See, when I'm reading the word, the word's reading me. Nothing in all creation can hide from me. Everything is naked and exposed before my eyes. So, son... My word is full of power. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting you open not to hurt you, but to heal you, to deliver you. It's not an execution sword so much as it's a scalpel. It is both. The, the two-edged sword, I've, I've always seen it as having two edges because on the one hand it kills and on the other hand it heals. Sometimes things have to be killed before other things can be healed. Um. Then the Lord said to me, this, this is from Hebrews 5. See, forget the chapter, you know, forget chapter 4. I just keep on writing into chapter 5. This is why your elder brother has returned to heaven for you as your great high priest. Jesus, the Son of God, who is, uh, this is why I want you to obey him and never stop trusting him. He fully understands your weaknesses. For he faced all the temptations you do, yet without sin. So I want you to come boldly to my throne, it, uh, the throne of grace. There you can receive mercy for your failures and grace that will strengthen you in your time of need. Clay, do you see now, son, why you have been failing? Why you've been fruitless and restless every day? Understand me? I want you to do this every day.
and I, I'm not going to tell you how many gaps there are between that entry in my journal and the next time I got desperate enough to come and say, I'm so tired, I hate everybody, and I wish I could go work at McDonald's. So here we go again. I go and I go to the scriptures, and I just started reading, and here's what, what it came out, what it came out of it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, watch out. Be very careful never to forget what you have seen the Lord do for you. Do not let these things escape from your mind for as long as you live. Remember I mentioned my friend a while ago who, who didn't have time to think? What did God tell Joshua to do? He said, Moses is dead. That which you drew strength from from the past is now gone. You've got to live in the present moment. Moses is dead. Joshua, take my word and meditate in it day and night in order that you might prosper in the thing that you are going to do. For therein will be your strength and your power if you meditate in my word. Meditate means think. It means more than think, but it means at the very basic, basic level to have time to think, to contemplate. I've, I know I've said this a dozen times, but I can't help it. Every I, I, I want to hear myself say it again. When, I, when I'm in prayer, if I stay in the presence of the Lord long enough, which now only takes a few minutes, my mind becomes so full of the glory of God and what God rescued me from and what he brought me from and, and what he's given me that... My prayer life really in many ways has become mostly worship and praise and thanksgiving and then intercession for others. And then I'll, I'll always manage some mully grubbing uh, prayer about what's wrong with me and how can God use me and I don't know why, you know, <laughs> life's so hard. But that only, that, that's, that's shrinking. Even that is shrinking, even on bad days. Anyway, I wrote there, um, be careful never to forget, never forget. And then verse 23, watch out, be careful never to forget the covenant the Lord your God made with you. By, uh, don't you bow to idols, for God is passionate over you, jealous that he's passionate over you. If you give yourself to, to immoral things, you will perish. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. Remember where you were and where he has brought you out of. Verse 29. Oh, that you would have s such a heart that would fear me and keep my commandments always, that it might go well with you forever. Oh, son, that you would listen to me, and follow closely to me, and walk in my paths. I would quickly have subdued your enemies. My hand would be upon your foes. Those who hate me would cringe before you, and then defeat would come to them, and their defeat will be complete. That's Psalm 81, verse 13. So, uh, Isaiah 48:18. Oh, clay, that you would listen to me and heed me. You would know peace like a gentle river and righteousness like rolling waves. Matthew 23, 7. Son, how many times... Have I wanted to gather you up in my arms and tuck you under my wings? But you were busy. 
Luke 19, 14, Jesus said, I wish for that even this day, even today. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 through 12, beware, Clay, when you enjoy the temporal blessings of this home, food and pleasures, when you are fulfilled and your heart is full, beware that you don't forget me. Deuteronomy 7.18 Please remember what I, I did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Deuteronomy 8 verse 11 Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by simply not obeying his commandments. See when you have your life full of good things which come from my hand your heart becomes lifted up in self-conceit and you forget where you came from and who saved you from your past boy I, I that one I just I lived in that one for so long I, uh, don't let me forget now, there's an old country gospel song came out 40 years ago Dottie Rambo wrote it. It says, draw back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I might have been. And I've had people be critical of those lyrics. And I understand, you know, forgetting those things. <laughs> See, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing on toward things that are before. He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. But you have to think with two hands, Hebraically. You don't think Greek. Uh, the Bible's not contradicting itself when on the one hand it says, don't look back, keep moving forward. And on the other hand, there's another time that it says, remember where I brought you from. Don't forget. Look and remember where I brought you from. And uh, you just have to understand the context and operate in them uh, according to the context. Deuteronomy 9, verse 7, Remember and do not forget how Israel provoked God's wrath in the wilderness with their idol worship. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, You shall, now get this one, You shall write a copy of these truths in a book, and you are to keep it with you so you can read and reread these realities every day of your life for the rest of your life so by that you may learn to fear me and obey me so your heart won't be lifted up in pride and so you will obey and not turn aside to the right or to the left keep a journal David said in Psalm 119, verse 92, Unless your word had been my delight, I would have perished in my time of trouble. Uh, and then I have that written at the top of the page, and then underneath it, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Son, before you continue in this study you're doing, let me say clearly to you that you have not been listening to me anywhere close to what I ask you to. It's not a matter of legalism. It's not a matter that I'm angry at you. Look at yourself. You're right back in the activism and frustration that I pulled you out of. Look at the gap in this journal and see what has happened when you fell through the gap. 
I have created you to need me more and to have to be alone with me more than the average person. Now, I, some of you who work really hard every day and you've got calluses on your hands and your back hurts, you could get really frustrated with me when I say that. Oh, let me, I got it, Clay. You're special. You get to just lollygag around alone with the Lord all day and the rest of us have to work. <laughs> I want to tell you there have been times when getting out and, and doing physical labor would uh, be much preferable to me than having to deal with what I had to deal with on my face before God sometimes. But that was my problem. I would get out and start doing stuff to avoid the confrontation. And, and when I say confrontation, God's never, God's never harsh with me. He's never unkind. Uh, you know, Jesus said, it's the word that judges you. He said, I, I'm not judging you. My word is judging you. And he's not playing games with words when he says that. Hadn't you ever had somebody in your life that you that you know they love you? you? There's no trouble between the two of you. But they love you enough to speak the truth to you, and the truth is what hurts. They're not hurting you. They're just speaking the truth, and the truth is, is wearing you out. Um, I, I can't live without this that I'm trying to describe to you. This is how I live. I can't live without it, and this is how I'm able to deal with things like uh, I have to deal with the, the tragedies in people's lives, the horrible demonic bondages in people's lives. I could not bear dealing with those kinds of things if I did not have this kind of intimacy Now, with the Lord. Now, you, you've got your own version of this. Uh, maybe you've got a boss that's just unbearable. Maybe you've got a coworker that's a crook and you don't know how to disconnect from him. And uh, Maybe you've got a marriage that is breaking your heart or a child that's wayward. Look, any some of you have all of those that I just named. And uh, any number of things can combine at one time and converge on you in such a way as to make you just feel like you're going to collapse. I think of David there uh, when when uh, they get back to camp and their families had been kidnapped. And all the men turned on David and wanted to kill him. And all, all The Bible can be so understated sometimes. It, it says David went outside the camp and encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, I want to read to you one more thing about this. Uh, Oswald Chambers said in My Utmost for His Highest, about the danger of wanting special times away with the Lord. I'm telling you, you need to take special time. But then there's a, there's a snare in even that. He says, the measure of the worth of our public ministry is the private communion we have with the Lord. Rush is wrong every time. There's always time to worship God. Quiet days with God can become a snare. We have to pitch our tents where we shall always have quiet times with God. 
however noisy it may be around us. So on the one hand, if you can do it, if you can find time away with the Lord, uh, there was a time in my life when I, I had much more access to time away with the Lord. The way our life is right now, I don't have it. I don't, I don't have that kind of time. So I carve it out every day. It may be only a few minutes. It may be 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Uh, I got to where I wouldn't write in my journal. If I couldn't have two hours of nonstop, uh, uninterrupted quiet time, I wouldn't do anything at all. And the Lord spoke to me even just a few days ago, and he said, I've been telling you things you need to record, and you're going to lose them if you don't record them. And you keep, you keep waiting for some special time when all the atmosphere is right. And he said, I need you to just do it in the hubbub and craziness of the day. And so I've begun to do that. Well, I hope this has been encouraging to you. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to stop here. I could go on and on with this. There's a lot of things I would like to read to you. Uh, but I, I hope you've gotten the idea. You know, you, you have to learn to do this special made between you and the Lord. The Lord don't want you to do claim acclaim stuff. He wants you to do this special between you and him so that it has your and his mark on it, not Clay's mark on it. You, you know what I'm saying? Now, in the closing minutes that I've got, let me just mention a couple of things to you. Uh, I had told you about the impending radio broadcast that we had been planning to do with American Family Radio. And uh, we did it, and it went very well, and it has opened up a lot of possibilities for future uh, things that uh, I'll tell you about as they open up. But the, the focus of the broadcast was to help the local church learn how to minister to what used to be difficult, unusual problems people have, but now they're no longer unusual. They're still difficult, but they're no longer unusual. They have become the normal struggles of the local church. And to be able to help the local church learn to do that, uh, we're beginning to try to produce a new set of curriculum specifically aimed at that. And wherever we, it's possible, we want to come in and teach those things to a, a, a body of believers that are willing to do the homework it takes to learn to, to minister on that level. So pray with us about that, and we'll talk to you next time, Lord willing.